The following message is by Pastor Eric Ludy. More information about the church at Ellerslie is available at www.ellerslie.com. Praying through. Did you know that in Christian history, that's a very common term, to pray through. Praying through something. To most of us today, it means nothing. Well, I'd like to introduce you to an idea today that very possibly could alter your entire spiritual life. And it could also great, it make you greatly uncomfortable. There is something about the idea and the notion of praying through that goes directly against the way that we are naturally built as humans. And I'm going to explain what it means, but let's just for now leave it as a title, okay? And then we'll sort of build the case for it as we go through. But uh, if you want to study what the prayer lives are of George Mueller, of Reese Howells, of E.M. Bounds, of Hudson Taylor, of Amy Carmichael, there is one element that you're going to see as a constancy, and that is that they all understood what it meant to pray through. So let's start by answering a very simple question. What is prayer? Prayer is taking from God's purchase upon the cross. So Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, something happened. Remember, he whispered the words, or maybe spoke the words. I don't know, I wasn't there to hear it. But he said, it is finished. Maybe he yelled the words. But he said, it is finished. Look around you. Jesus Christ, God comes to earth and accomplishes something and makes this declaration that it is finished. Does it seem like it is finished in this world? Well, it's like, Jesus, you left out one very important thing. You know, the Romans, or, I'm sorry, the Jews, when they were, uh, you know, in, basically held hostage by the Roman Empire, they expected their Messiah to come and bring peace to remove, absolutely annihilate the Roman Empire. Instead, their Messiah came and died and says, it is finished, and all the Jews could look at him and go, you didn't do anything. What did you accomplish? He accomplished something, and it is finished. The difference is, and the problem most of us have in seeing what took place on the cross is it is finished in heaven. It is accomplished. Everything God needed to accomplish was done. And it was done in heaven. And here's the secret of prayer. Prayer is like a grappling hook. It's like one of those claw-like things, metal claw-like things with a big rope tied to it. And you throw it up to heaven. And you grab a hold of the purchase of the cross, the promises gained on that tree. And you start pulling. And you start pulling. And you keep pulling until you see heaven come to earth. Prayer is the action of faith. We believe that God did it. We believe that God accomplished it. We believe that Jesus has done the work, that he has made all things new. And then prayer is our way of saying, and I'll prove it. Watch. Because when we reach up and we grab in faith the things of the cross and we bring them and we pull them through prayer, they come to earth. And that is the work of the Christian. Because otherwise God should just take us and get us out of here. There is no reason for us to remain, but there is a job to do down here on earth, and that is we are bringing the purchase of that cross down to earth. 
Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now remember, this is Jesus' answer when his disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray. And he gives this sampling of prayer. And a lot of people think that they have to pray the exact words of this prayer to be praying. It's the substance, it's the essence of what prayer is. Thy kingdom come. This is what is purchased on the cross. It's a kingdom. His kingdom has been realized. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until it is the same down here as it is up there, we have a job to do. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. Our job isn't done. The church of Jesus Christ has a role to play. And we follow God's lead. And we take from what he has done and we bring it to this earth through prayer. The doctrine of answered prayer. God has promised and he cannot lie. Now, those that have hung around here at the Church of Ellerslie have heard me say that so many times that it's become almost a laughable thing. God has promised, and he cannot lie. And I'm not the one that came up with that. Paul says that's the anchor of our soul, the two immutable truths that cannot be robbed from the Christian. If God has promised something, and he cannot lie, that means you can stand on it as solid rock. We do not waver. We at the Church of Ellerslie believe that when God revealed it in his word, when he spoke it in his word, he meant it. And he hasn't altered his opinion on the matter. The word of God does not evolve. It does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just like the God who spoke it. And so if God has promised, and we believe he cannot lie, and the word of God cannot change, these are truths for us today. So let's build our understanding of answered prayer. Because the idea of prayer, if you believe that something is in heaven and that you need to go after it with that grappling hook and then pull, you need to have an assurance, first and foremost, that God's telling you to do it and he's showing you what to go after with your grappling hook and he says, if you can grab a hold of that and pull, I guarantee you it will come. There is nothing more disheartening than to guess in spiritual matters. It's like, God, I don't know if you want me to go after that. I'm not exactly sure, but I really want that. And so you start pulling a little. And guess what? When the resistance comes and nothing seems to be happening, what do you do? You give up. Prayer is not based on a guess. Prayer is based on fact. And prayer knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wants to bring this to earth. And so when you know for certain what God is wanting to do in your life or what he's wanting to do in the church around you, what he's wanting to do in your friends and family around you, then you go after it and you pull and when you feel the resistance, what do you do? You keep pulling and you never stop pulling until you see that reality, that promise come to this earth. That's prayer. So let's talk about the doctrine of answered prayer. Ask and it shall be given you, Matthew 7, 7. Okay, it's a basic statement that Jesus is saying, ask and it shall be given you. Well, that sounds a little too easy. All right, well, what, what, what's the caveat here? What's the, what other thing do I need to know? Jesus makes it sound way too easy. Ask and it shall be given you. Now, I'm going to explain a little more structure for this statement. However, that's what he said. Very simply. Now, look at this. We need to go to the next one. For some reason. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Okay, so that's, again, Jesus saying, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, 
believing, there's one little caveat added. It's not just ask it in prayer. Now you need to believe it in prayer. Ye shall receive. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That sounded vaguely familiar. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What's next? <clears throat> the six things that hinder prayers. So what we see is we see a overwhelming, because I guarantee you, I, I took all the, just the basic statements like this, because there's a lot of other supporting statements that talk about God answering prayer. I took a sampling out for you right there. Jesus said, ask. Ask in my name, believing, and it will be done. Most of us as Christians today can't even wrap our mind around that basic truth. Now, there are reasons for it, okay? I'm not going to just make this statement and make it sound like you have some huge problem and fault. That is, most of us would say, and here's what's going through our head, you know what? I tried it, Eric. I did ask, and nothing happened. Six things that hinder prayers. This is a very important list. But before I go into it, I want you to realize that prayer, when done God's way, is always answered. When you are making a decision of how you're going to respond to this message, I want you to remember the illustration that I've given many times, and that is the Christian, or our faith, needs to always follow fact and not experience. Experience, when we're trying to walk the narrow ridge pole, and it takes serious balance, your faith is a little wobbly right now as you're hearing this. It's like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, to give myself radically in prayer and to have this full assurance and confidence that God will answer. Ah, I mean, look at what's happened in the past, Eric. I, mean, I remember when I asked specifically for this. That's your experience. Do not look at your experience. You focus on fact. What does God say? The secret for your experience to begin to line up with fact is you follow fact. The moment faith consults experience is the moment it gets wobbly and falls off the ridgepole. You follow fact and not experience. Basic principle of faith, yet it's also a basic principle of prayer because this is the number one test point of your faith because faith, when it's real, expresses itself in and through prayer. If you have a prayer life, it's because you have faith. If you have no prayer life, it's because you don't have faith. When you have faith, it naturally expresses itself in and through prayer. You have a confidence. When you see something happening over here and you know what God wants to do, you immediately start praying. You don't back down. You know what God's able to do, and you immediately hit it and strike it in prayer. The six things 
I need the list name. I can't go back and forth, unfortunately, with my clicker. This thing's useless. Could, I, could you go back one? The six things that hinder prayers. Okay, now go uh, forward. The first thing that hinders prayer is that it's a prayer born of the flesh and not the spirit. If you have, there's two different dimensions to our existence, and I could go through an elaborate teaching on just flesh versus spirit. But there's two dimensions to you. There's one that is just you naturally outside of God. And it always is after your ends, your betterment, your wealth, your security. It's the flesh. And if you come to God praying out of the flesh, there is no guarantee that God is going to answer your prayer. But God has promised in Scripture that if you pray rightly, if you pray according to his pattern, and his pattern, by the way, is spirit. And he makes that clear all throughout the Bible. And if you pray according to his pattern, he guarantees you that your prayers will be answered. Now let's look at the scripture that goes with this. In James 4, 3, it says, Ye ask and receive not. Well, what, what's going on here? Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Basically, that you could spend it on your flesh. You are wanting something for your security, for your pleasure, for the ease of your own life. And when you approach God on those terms, you are living in the wrong kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is one that gives up self. It is no longer after self's agenda. And I know that sounds totally fable-esque because it's like, well, who lives like that? True Christians. The point most of us live for self in the kingdom of darkness with the banner of Jesus Christ over us as opposed to defecting, dying to self and entering a new kingdom. This is not about me. This is about you. Whatever you want with this life, Lord Jesus, you do it. That's the beginnings of prayer. A prayer life springs forth out of such a, a, a soil, a soil of selflessness. And it says, what do you want to do? And he says, pray. Pray, study me. Learn about me in my word. Build your life around the believers. Structure your life the way I will teach you to structure it after my spirit and not after the flesh. So if your prayers are born of the flesh, they will not be answered. What's the next one? Number two, your prayers are errant. In other words, they're missing. If you were aiming at a mark or aiming at a, at a bullseye and you kept hitting the tree next to it, you'd be missing. Well, there's a way in which your prayers will be answered, but you must hit the bullseye with it. The reason they're errant is that they're not in alignment with God's nature, will, and purpose on earth. Let's read the scripture that goes with this one. In 1 John 5, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. It's a confidence you can have. Well, that, doesn't that sound a little overwhelming? I don't know his will. Learn his word. If you know the word of Jesus Christ, you know his will. His will is his word. He doesn't have some special will out there, you know, that it's just like all hard to discern. Read the Bible. Understand the scriptures and you will know his will. And when you pray in accordance with that, he is after souls. He is after the glory of his name. He is after the establishment and the building up of his kingdom. He is love. These are the natural expressions of his will. When, when I teach about uh, this particular area, because I do a lot of different teachings on prayer, and one of them is, Jesus says, ask whatsoever you will. 
Well, whatsoever is a very big word. And, I mean, that, that could include a lot of things. Now, what we're doing with this list is we're basically saying, you take the Word of God and you take it globally. You never take one scripture out of context and say, well, look, he says whatsoever. You know how you interpret how, how, to, how to look at that scripture and how to even receive it into your life practically? You have to take the entirety of scripture. And the entirety of scripture gives us an understanding of how to approach the whatsoever, and that's this. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were given a promised land. We are given exceedingly great and precious promises in the New Testament through the cross. In the Old Testament, they were given an exceedingly great and precious promised land. It flowed with milk and honey. And so there's a parallel in the Old Testament to the New. And God said, go in and take the land. The same thing he says about the great and precious promises that you have in front of you. Go in and take them. And then he says, wheresoever your foot shall tread, I will give it to you. But he defines the land. And he says from the, uh, the river Jordan to the river Euphrates to the great sea. Anywhere in this territory that your foot shall tread, it's yours. It's the same thing to us. He gives us the territory. He gives us the promised land. He's not promising us Japan. He's promising us Canaan. He's given us a defined territory. And his word promises the whatsoever. It clarifies it. It gives us boundary. And it says anything in this territory, go after it. You can be assured that if your foot rests upon it, it's yours. So go after it. Number three, the third reason why our prayers are hindered is we ask wavering and unsure. We don't believe that God truly promised it or we don't believe that he will keep his promise and that he cannot lie. We're not exactly positive on these points. We don't know that we have complete confidence in the word of God. It says it. I see it. But I don't know. I've seen so many people try to pray and their prayers have failed. I'm not exactly sure. You approach Jesus Christ that way and there is no guarantee that your prayers will be answered. We have an entire generation of Christians that is struggling with, being, with wavering and unsuredness. Entire generation. And it's sort of hard to be the one. I'm sure many of you will understand what I mean by this. It's sort of hard to be the one that isn't wavering and unsure when every single person around you is. But that's what faith in a generation must do. It must rise up and not look at the template of those around it, but the template of heaven. And say, if God says, be a rock, I'll be a rock. If he says, believe, and believe without wavering and without staggering, well then, dear Lord Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Grow me up unto such a man who will hold on to the throne of God and not let go and be completely confident that when you say it, you mean it and you're a God who will perform that which he promises. But let him ask in faith. This is where it says in James when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. But this is the, the caveat that is tagged on to the end of it. James 1, 6 says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Listen to this line. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So Jesus says, ask, and it will be given you. But are you realizing that in the rest of Scripture, it also clarifies, hey, you're asking and you're not receiving. Why? Because you're asking to spend on your flesh. 
Hey, you're asking, but you're not receiving. Why? Because you're not asking in faith. You're asking, but you're not receiving. Why? Because you're not asking in accordance with his will and his nature and his purpose on planet Earth. You're errant. You're, you're off course. He's headed this direction. You're praying this direction. He's not going to answer that prayer. You pray in alignment with your God, and he will answer. Number four, the fourth reason why we see prayers hindered is we're living in disobedience and impurity. Let's look at the scripture that goes with this one. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And so what we see is John is actually saying the reason that our prayers are answered is because we're living the way he's asking us to live. If we read the word of God and the revealed pattern of how the Christian life is supposed to be, and we take the power of God and the enabling spirit of God to live it, our prayers have no hindrance. But if we choose not to, if we choose to live in the world and we choose to live according to the flesh, then our prayers are actually hindered and unable to be answered by God. The same God that says, ask and you will receive. The same God has given us clarification of things that will actually hinder our prayers. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Even the sincere prayers, when they are lived out of a basis, out of an infrastructure of impurity and unrighteousness, your prayers will be hindered. It's what we at Ellerslie oftentimes call breaches. A, a serious Christian can have breaches in their life, and it can actually hinder their prayer life. Number five, a lack of heavenly honor. Let's look at the scripture with this one. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, which is talking about your wife, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? Listen to this line. That your prayers be not hindered. When a man is not honoring his wife, when he's not showing her the deference, when he's not treating her as the weaker vessel and protecting her and undergirding her and being the one to be the first sufferer, the one to take the hit instead of her, he's not putting her in vulnerable situations. He's the one that will always take the vulnerable situations upon himself. When he doesn't show her that honor, did you know that it actually hinders his prayers? What a bizarre statement that is. So the same God that says, ask, whatsoever you will and it will be done to you also clarifies hey but you have to live according to my pattern if you live according to my pattern and you show the deference you show the honor you be the man you're supposed to be you be the woman you're supposed to be and there is an open channel of prayer answering in your life so if you see one of these issues in your life that is clouded or corrupted or clogged unplug it unclog it so that your God can prove himself a prayer-answering God in this generation in and through your life. And number six, the final point of what can hinder us in, in, the, in seeing our prayers answered is the lack of abiding. Let's look at the scripture with this one in John 15. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. It's an incredible statement. But there's a little caveat with it. There's a little prescription, a little condition that is associated with it. And that is that you need to be abiding in him and that his words need to abide in you. And if his words are abiding in you and you're abiding in him, that means you are being corrected according to his pattern. 
That means the standard of righteousness is constantly being pressed against you. And impurity cannot remain. Flesh cannot remain. It solves the rest of the list. When you abide in him and his words abide in you, suddenly your prayers are answered. But if you are not abiding in him and his words are not abiding in you, there is a hindrance. There is an obstruction and a clogging, if you will, of your prayers being able to be answered and the answer to be able to flow from heaven down to earth. The recipe for the impossible for God not to answer prayer. Who in the world wouldn't want this recipe? This has to be one of the most valuable things on planet Earth, right here. It's like this secret recipe. You know, I remember this Calgon commercial when I was growing up, and they, they said, ancient Chinese secret. You guys remember that one? No, some of you are too young for that. This, oh, oh go back. I don't, don't give them any hints or peaks. Uh, the recipe for the impossible for God not to answer prayer. I am going to give you three ingredients that when they are mixed properly together in the Christian life, lead to the impossible for God not to answer prayer. Isn't that exciting? I mean, this is good stuff. Okay, now now you can go. You can give them a peek. Ingredient number one, praying God prayers. Some of you are going, thanks. That doesn't help at all. What does that mean? This is so critical and actually so mysterious. I'm going to demystify it here for you, but praying God prayers. What I'm going to propose to you is that most of us on a daily basis pray man prayers. We pray our prayers. When we get into a prayer time, what do we do? Try and think what we should pray. We're like, what do I pray? You hear about Reese Howells praying 11 hours? You hear about praying, John praying Hyde, praying for weeks on end without stopping? What's the first thought that goes into your head? What, what are they doing? Well, how do they fill the time? Well, that's a good question. And I wouldn't tell you to just start praying 11 hours a day. I wouldn't even tell you to start praying three hours a day. I would tell you to take a small bit of time and allow God to begin to teach you how to pray. Because prayer is one of those things that's learned. Just like any other skill on earth, most of us are never trained in prayer. That's what we do at Ellerslie. We train in the prayer life. But most of us have never had the privilege of spending time in God's presence. And as a result, we do not understand what this means. Praying God prayers. It says of Jesus Christ that he sits at the right hand of the Father. You know what he's doing there? It says that he's making intercession for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying? Isn't that a strange thought? What's he doing that for? He ever lives to stand in the gap and the breach, whatever our situation is, he is representing our situation to the Father. He is making intercession for us. My children need help. God has an agenda, and it's constant. He has things. He sees everything that's going on on this earth. And do you know that it weighs on his heart? And you know what he's doing? He's looking for saints that are willing to carry the burden that he has. He's, he knows exactly what needs to be done down here. And guess what? We don't. And so we come into our prayer time and we're like trying to whip up some good prayers. He already has prayers that he's ready to give us. But we need to silence ourselves, come before the throne of God and say, God, what do you want to pray? 
Prayer is me, basically just being the vessel of God's praying. God wants to take your life, your lips, your heart. He wants to burden it. He wants to move these lips to utter on this earth and to beckon forth the angelic host and the power of the Spirit of God to this earth to move mountains. And he knows the mountains that must be moved. He knows the barriers that must be crushed. You don't. I don't. We don't have a clue, and we waste our time. We fritter it away in what we call prayer. But it's man's prayer, and it's not God's prayers. I'm not saying we don't stumble and do a hybrid. Most of us probably do that all the time. We have our moments. We feel like we're grabbing a hold of the throne of God. And when you're sensing that, it's probably because you're praying according to the Spirit of God. But I want you to learn how to still yourself before God. And if you never make one noise for two hours while you're saying, God, give me your prayers. If you never make a peep, God doesn't care. He wants every word that ushers forth out of your being to be something born of him. You know that it says of Jesus that he didn't even speak one word, that the Father wasn't speaking? He didn't do one thing the Father wasn't doing. The Father was always speaking something. The Father was always doing something. Of course, there was times when the Father was silent and the Father was going away into the wilderness to say, pray, be still with me. It doesn't mean he always wants to have you in the middle of the pack of people. But just as Jesus only did what the Father was doing, we only do what Jesus is doing. And so when Jesus is praying, what do we do? We pray. When Jesus is saying on your knees, no, leave, leave the group, come away with me. I need to burden your heart with something that's burdening me. We go away. And he burdens our heart, and we find ourselves weighed down the same way he was in Gethsemane. You know, it says of John Hyde that he died at a young age. He died in his 40s. He would literally pray and pray and pray for weeks, and he would be in anguish. He would be crying out. He was feeling what God was feeling. And it says that his heart literally moved from one side of his chest cavity to the other, and he died in his 40s. And as he said, with his boots on. He died doing what he was called to do. And that was to carry the anguish of the heart of God on earth. That's what prayer is. If you want prayers to be answered, allow them to be God prayers instead of man prayers. Because when God initiates a prayer, do you have any doubt that he's going to answer it? When God initiates movement in the Christian's life, and you know it's God, God's doing something, he's convicting you, I guarantee you he will bring that work to completion. Why? Because he started it. And that's what he's faithful to do. When he begins something, he brings it to its end, always. And so when God starts a prayer, guess what? He will bring it to completion and to fruition. That's where your faith comes from. If it's your prayer, and you say, oh God, arrange the chairs in here without having me touch them. Are we sure that's a God prayer? And could you imagine I keep fighting for it? I keep holding on. Am I wasting my time? Is this according to his will? According to his design and his nature and his purpose? He's like, Eric, get down off that stage and straighten them yourself. In other words, is this what God is asking of me? Is this his prayer? If it's not, don't waste your breath. But when it is, you don't let go of your God until he does it. Ingredients, oh, here's a scripture that goes with it. John 15, 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. 
1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So it's the concept of praying in accordance with what God is doing. This is his will. How do you know his will? He's expressing it to you. This is his burden. I don't know if any of you have ever felt a burden from God, but it's literally a weight, and it presses you into a prayer closet. You can't go anywhere else. You can't even function in society when you have it. You're feeling the weight, and you're like, I... Sorry, I'm going to have to have to go. What is it? What's going on? What's wrong with that person? There's nothing wrong with them. They're attuned to the Spirit of God, and God is saying, I need a man or a woman to pray right now. Some of you have been woken up in the night with the sense that God is saying, it's right now. And you've rolled back over and gone to sleep going, what in the, what's that? God is looking for men and women to carry his burdens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But which men and women on this earth are going to be willing to move out of man praying to God praying? God praying makes us vulnerable because it means we have to be dependent upon God. And when we get into a group and we're praying with a group and we want to look really prayer smart, God may say, no, I'm not giving you any prayers in this group. And so we don't pray at all out loud, and he just says, keep it to yourself. I haven't given you any prayers tonight. And you look weak. You don't look spiritually strong. God doesn't care a whit about that. He cares about obedience. Learn to pray as God prays. Ingredient number two, praying with faith. Faith in the most simple definition would be The ability, it's an eyesight of the soul to see what is true in heaven, what is accomplished in heaven. And when God says, this is done, there are things, for instance, that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt are done and accomplished, and they were gained through prayer. And I could tell you very straightforwardly and confidently, no, that'll be done. And then you'll look at my life or the circumstances of my life, there isn't any indication that that would happen. Just watch. How do I know that? Because I have faith. How is the faith gained? Through prayer. You pray until you have a greater faith. And it's faith that starts the prayer, and then it's faith that is gained through the prayer. You pray to gain the complete confidence that it's done. I know that sounds strange. Until you go through the process, you may not understand what I mean by that. This college, for instance, I knew that God said, go after it. Start praying for it. I knew it was going to happen. This is, because I've been, I've been praying for this, for Ellerslie for 17 years. But it was about a year and a half, two years ago, that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God said, go after this campus afresh, you will get it this time. I knew it. I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know how many times the natural realm boasted and said, nothing's happening? And I knew that it was going to happen. You could tell me whatever you wanted. I had a guy say straight to my face, this is not viable, Eric. I said, watch what God will do. I knew it. I could see it. And it's hard to describe when you can see it. But when you see it, you see it. And that's what faith is. If someone tells me that Jesus Christ didn't exist, I see it. I know it. I know what the cross did. I have a very real sense of it. You can't talk me out of it. It's not just a pet notion that I have. It's faith. And faith is based on fact. God has revealed it. I believe it. I see it. It's done inside of Eric Ludi. And now I walk in it. And when you pray God prayers and you pray 
God prayers with God assurance. You know it's done. You know that God will do it. You know that God wants to do it. You know that God is doing it. It will be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Ingredient number three, praying with persistence. You pray God prayers, and you pray them God's way, faith. He says, the one thing I require of my servants is that they believe me. It's a very basic thing. He says the work of God is to believe. It's that simple. You can say, what am I supposed to do for God? Believe. Believe not wavering. Believe without staggering. The world will mount itself up against you and say, ha ha, your God did not come through for you. And you say, I believe. And you are immovable. You are not going to be pushed around by anything that happens in this earth. I've used the illustration many times of Peter walking on water. Jesus is out on water, and Peter gets out of the boat and actually walks on water. It's an extraordinary moment. And he's walking on water as long as he stayed on Jesus Christ, but then the winds and the waves come. By the way, this is what will always happen in your life. The winds and the waves will always come to test your faith. God doesn't mind it. God knows that the faith that truly will prove to have the substance to transact with heaven needs to first be proven. And so the winds and the waves are going to come in your life. You're walking on water. Something truly supernatural is taking place. But what do you know about winds and waves? They put you under. Ah, you know what? You've swallowed a lot of water in your life, and that wave could really do some damage to you. What are you supposed to do in that moment? Because no longer are you subject to the natural realm when you're subject to Jesus Christ. No longer are you under the effects of winds and waves. You are under the effects of one, and that's the one who mastered the winds and the waves. And so you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, unwavering, unmoved. And what you'll see is that wind and that wave, that wave will crest up like this, and you stay focused, and it will fall flat. It cannot hinder what God is doing in your life. But you must prove it by not wavering. The moment he checked out and consulted the winds and the waves, he sank. You will sink when you consult the natural instead of your God. What he has revealed is what you build your life on. Ingredient number three, go back real quick. Praying with persistence is, by definition, praying through. Praying with persistence. When you know God has promised. When you know that it's a God prayer and you have the assurance of it, how long do you pray to see it happen? Do you pray for a day? Do you pray for a week? Do you pray for a month? Do you pray for a year? You pray until you see it happen. Praying with persistence. In Christian history, it's known as praying with importunity. It's praying without letting go. Relentless pursuit most of us are blaming God for not answering prayer when what actually happened was we stopped praying. When, and I, I think I've shared this with you guys before. If, if I haven't, this will be a nice, juicy, brand new story for you. But 
Leslie uh, was locked in the car. I'm sorry. Leslie accidentally locked Hudson in the car. This is when he was, I think, around two. I'm not positive. Uh, at a Walmart. No, Sam's Club. Sam's Club in Fort Collins. She gave me a call. This is a terrible situation for a mom, by the way. She locks Hudson in the car. Her keys, her wallet, everything, her phone was all inside the front seat, and it got closed in. So she didn't have a cell phone. And so she somehow needs to get in touch with her man to, to get help, but she can't leave the car because Hudson's there, yet she can't make a call from the car because her phone's stuck in the front seat. So she has to leave Hudson and run into Sam's Club, beg for a phone, and I get this call. And it basically says, Beef, that's what she calls me, Beef, Hudson's locked in the car at Sam's Club. I'm in the Sam's Club parking lot. I need you to come as quickly as possible. I go, okay. And she hangs up. That's it. That was the petition. And she goes running out to the car to be with Hudson. And here's the challenge that she faced. She had to trust the nature of the man she called. She had to trust that the one she called is interested in her welfare. And the one she called is an answerer to her petitions. That if, as a bride, she calls her bridegroom... She knows that her bridegroom immediately moves into action on her behalf. The problem the bridegroom faces is there are a few logistical things that have to be dealt with. For instance, we were down to one car at the time. I think I had to borrow a car. I don't remember all the details, but I remember it took me a good 15, 20 minutes to actually even get out of the house. I had to find a key for the car. And then I'm making my way, and guess what? I can't call her because her cell phone's in the car. So there's no means of communication I can make. She has to trust that I'm moving. Now what happens on her end if she is waiting and waiting, thinking, why isn't he coming? It's been two minutes. I'm 15 minutes away, just naturally speaking geographically. Okay, there's time in between that has to pass. When we pray to our God, what do we do? We give no allowance for the spiritual battle that we're in. We give no allowance for the fact that we don't see everything. Your job is to believe. Your job is to stand firm in faith until your bridegroom arrives. There is nothing more damaging to a bridegroom than for him to pull up in Sam's Club parking lot and have some big hulking guy with a baseball bat a broken out front windshield in your car and he's like, yeah, anytime, ma'am. Because she didn't wait. She didn't trust that I would be there. But guess what? When I showed up, my wife was waiting for me. Because she knew the nature of her groom. Why is it that it's easier for us to trust men and women on this earth than it is the God who created us, who has promised, who has revealed his word to us and said, wait, I'm coming. Don't fail in your faith. Don't waver. Don't stagger. I don't care what happens around you. I'm coming. Your God is coming. You make the petition. You hold fast that petition. You do not let go, and you will see your God come through. Praying through. Let's move to the next one. Effectual, fervent praying. So let's go through a list. I basically, in this, I have a list of attributes of how God has revealed the idea of praying through throughout the word of God. Okay, let's just go through this really quick. James 5, 16 says, the effectual, 
fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. These are little titles. The actual first title, if this had been laid out uh, the way I was saying it, was, it would have said the effectual fervent prayer. And then this one is go again. This one comes from the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah has just called down fire from heaven. He has consumed the altar. All of Israel has beheld it, and they have said, the Lord, he is the God. It's one of the most extraordinary moments in all of history. There has been a drought for three and a half years. The drought started because of a man named Elijah who prayed, and he literally stopped up the heavens for three and a half years. How does your prayer life look next to that? Could you imagine an entire nation has gone without water for three and a half years because of one man's prayer? And now he has said to Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Now here's the interesting thing. There was no rain. There was not even a cloud in the sky, and yet he heard it. What is that? That's faith. Faith doesn't gauge itself around what, they, what you hear, what you see in the natural it has spiritual hearing. It has, spirit, has spiritual eyesight. It sees the abundance of rain. It hears it. So Elijah says, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And he tells Ahab to go and make himself ready for the abundance of rain. And then he casts himself down. Let's go to the scripture here. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now let me stop here. Elijah knows that an abundance of rain is coming. But there's still something that needs to be done. It needs to be brought from heaven to earth. And that's what prayer is. So Elijah knows what God wants to do. He's praying a God prayer, and he's praying it with faith. Now let's demonstrate that he also prayed it with persistence. He put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Don't go to the next screen yet. Go back. Yeah. Uh, See, that's the problem without me having this clicker. I can do my little magical routine up here. Instead, I have to be vulnerable. Now, what we see is classic prayer right here. Very rarely in the Bible, if ever, except for this situation, do we get a peek inside of a man of God's prayer closet. Think about this. We hear about the effects of prayer, but we don't oftentimes see the men wrestling in prayer. We oftentimes don't see Jesus wrestling in prayer before he went out into the multitudes and healed the sick. The reason Jesus had such strength is because of what he was doing behind the scenes. You gain the strength for ministry through your prayer closet. Elijah hears the sound of an abundance of rain. He gets down on his face and he begins to cry out for the rain to come. And guess what? sends his servant. His servant comes back and says, there's nothing. So what do you do? Most of us at this point say, well, obviously God doesn't want to bring rain. What does Elijah do? And he said, go again seven times. Now that's a very poor grammatical uh, layout there. Well, here's what's happening. He says to his servant, go again. He falls down on his knees, cries out. The servant comes back and says, there's nothing. Go again. Servant comes back, says, there's nothing. Go again. Servant comes back, he says, there's nothing. What does Elijah do? Go again. Seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, 
There ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Okay. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. There's no rain. He prays, 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 prays. Sees a little cloud the size of a man's hand. And says, that's it. It's gained. He stands up. No more need for prayer. Well, uh, Elijah, (laughs) there's still no rain. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. Prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile, the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. That is a man of God. That is a man moved by faith and moved by God prayers and not by the natural realm. When you are moved by the natural realm, you will never see this in your life. When you are moved by the supernatural realm and your praying ushers forth from a different source, this is what you see. Wrestling until the breaking of day. This is the story of Jacob. Why don't you go to the scripture? And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And the man said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. The concept of praying through, and most Christians have had to come, most great Christian men have had to learn this through praying through the night. The hardest time to pray, let's, let's just get it out on the table, the hardest time to pray is when we're tired. And oftentimes God will test his men. Remember Gethsemane? He will test them in the garden. It's the middle of the night. And we're tired. We're weighted down. And God says, will you watch with me? I have a job for you. Will you stay awake? Will you watch? Will you wrestle? Jacob wrestled through the night. The name of Israel was given because of this scene. Israel was named after what Jacob did here. The people of God were named after this scene. In other words, those that grab a hold of God and don't let go until the day breaks. You're in the dark of night. Your circumstances aren't looking good. You hold on to God. Don't look to your circumstances. It doesn't matter that it's night. You hold on and you say, the day is coming. The day is coming. And he says, let me go. And he tests you. You say, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. You have what I need. You're the only one that has it. I can go nowhere else in this earth and find it. I will not let go. That's praying through. And God says, that's good stuff. It seems rude because the man's saying, let me go. It seems rude to keep holding on to God. And God says, that's faith. And I'll prove that here. Let's go to the next one. Always to pray and not to faint. Okay, let's go to the scripture with that one. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And, we would, and he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. The context is prayer. When Jesus said this, that's the context. And he's using this as an illustration to show what faith is. 
And he's saying, here's how faith works. Faith is like a widow that comes to an unjust judge and makes her plea over and over and troubles the guy. And finally, he says, okay, I'll give it to you. God is saying, I am not the unjust judge. How much more do I desire to answer your plea? I will answer, even if you feel like you're troubling me, even if it seems as if you're nagging me. I say, ask in faith and persist. Persist until the breaking of day, and you will get what you ask. That is known as praying through. You pray until the answer comes. Importunity. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now look at that line. He will not rise because he's a friend. The guy's like, hey, my friendship only stretches so far. I'm not getting up. I don't care if you're my buddy. Go to sleep. Get out of here. I'm, I'm in bed with all my family. Get out of here. He will not rise because he's a friend. You know why he'll rise? Because of the neighbor's importunity. You know what importunity is? Kink, kink, kink. Kink, 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 kink. Kink, 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 What? Get out of here. Kink, 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 kink. Hey, I'm sleeping. Kink, 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 kink. Come on, get out of here. I know you're no longer my friend. Kink, 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 kink. You don't stop knocking. God is the one giving this illustration. He says, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Unwavering pursuit. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Don't go on to the next screen, by the way. But he answered her not a word. Okay, I don't know how many of you have felt this scene. you got a serious situation on your hands. Okay, your daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And what does Jesus do? Look, this is a quote straight out of Scripture. But he answered her not a word. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, God, I'm talking to you. What's the secret here? What is demonstrated in this story is extraordinary. Let's go to the next one. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. For she crieth after us. But he answered and said, so now he turns to her. And he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. He just called her a dog. He didn't answer her. 
He just called her a dog. And he said, truth. And she said, truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. You and I most likely would have turned away. Jesus didn't answer. What's going on? And then he calls us a dog. We leave. Okay, why in the world are we going to hang around? Instead of saying, I will not let go until you bless me. Kink, 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 kink. Continuing to knock. What these stories show is what faith is. This is the impossible for God not to answer prayer. It is a God prayer. It is issued forth out of God's own heart. And it is prayed with faith. And it is prayed with importunity and persistence until the answer comes. I gave this illustration in church uh, quite a few months ago. If God gives you a shovel and he says, I've put treasure in the earth, what should you do with that shovel? You start digging, especially if he tells you where it is. He says, it's right beneath your feet. So you move out of the way and you start shoveling, don't you? That's prayer. This shovel is prayer. Faith is believing what he said was true. And so the act of faith is prayer. Because if you really believe God, you're going to start shoveling. If you don't believe God, you're going to set the shovel off to the side and go, I'm not going to waste my time. He's, he's not telling the truth. Okay, so you start digging. How about after five or six shovelfuls? That's a lot. I mean, the shovelfuls are pretty heavy. You have a little mound of dirt over here. You look into the hole, you see nothing. Do you give up? Most Christians do. They give up after five shovelfuls. How about the one who's willing to go 10? 10 shovelfuls, still nothing. You know, there are whole support groups in Christianity, entire books written by people that have done five to 10 shovelfuls and found nothing. And they're trying to rationalize and excuse God somehow so we don't need to be disillusioned with him. Well, he didn't mean what he said there. What he meant was this. And they come up with some ridiculous idea of what God really meant. God meant exactly what he said, and he didn't stutter. The problem is, you stopped believing. You stopped digging. You stopped praying. He says, continue on until you reach the treasure. If God has promised, he is faithful. If God has promised, you can also take to the bank that he cannot lie. So if he has given you a shovel, which he's given every single one of us in here a shovel, what do we do with it? We start using it. God wants us to discover the fullness of Christianity. He wants to teach us to discover every single thing that is laid out in Scripture. The exceeding great and precious promises that are revealed in Scripture, every single one of you in here is supposed to find it. But you must take that shovel and go after it. I have never had more resistance in my life spiritually than when I start praying through. I just want you guys to know that. If you want drama in your life, start taking that shovel and continuing on. Here's what happens. You start digging, and you're, you know, about five to ten feet down. That's a lot of shovelfuls, by the way. 
People start getting convicted by your depth of, you know, of the hole that you're digging. Because they, they look at their hole, you know, they've been in their support group saying, yeah, God doesn't want to answer these prayers. And then they see you with like dirt coming out of your hole still. And so they, they form some type of committee and they confront you. And they're all surrounding your hole and they're like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me down there. You're like, excuse, I'm trying to shovel. Could you guys move out of the way? They're like, uh, we would appreciate it if you'd stop shoveling. Why would they care if you're shoveling? They care because it's deeply convicting to them that you are pressing in and believing what God has said and they gave up on it a long time ago. Here's my encouragement to you. You are going to find resistance from this world. And ironically, you're going to find resistance from the Christian community when you press forward believing your God to be exactly who he's revealed himself to be. And I want to tell you right now, you fear God and no man. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you don't look at the winds and the waves. It doesn't matter how deep your hole gets. God is true and he is not a liar. And if he has promised, it is down there. I can't tell you how many times I have found treasure. And I've had to go deep. Gunk, gunk. Found it! I found something! You know what I've been told so many times? Get this line. Well, as they look down into my hole, because it's there. Then they see it. It's like, well, yeah, he did find it. Well, that's an unusual situation, though. God does that once in a generation. God does not do this once in a generation. God will do this with any believing soul any man or woman who puts their confidence and trust and assurance in the living God to be exactly who he has revealed himself to be in the word of God. Take him at his word and go with it. Learn to pray and to pray through. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. More information can be found on our website, www.ellersley.com. Again, that website is www.ellersley.com. Know that we are cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.